building wealth for ourselves is kind of anti-capitalist too because we get to use that money to rest. We get to use that money to, you know, become financially independent. We're like, we're getting out of this. We're getting out of what capitalistic society tells us that we have to always be productive. We can't rest. And so like when we get our money right, we can buy our time back and rest and like do whatever we want. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Hey, 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 journeyers. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. This week, I have two special guests, Israel and Sunem Tovar. They are two siblings who empower people to use their money to live their lives on their own terms. Israel built a six-figure net worth by the age of 26 on, guess what, teacher salary, and is a first-gen openly gay Latino. He earned a BA from Yale University and a master's in education from Stanford University. Sunem has built a 200000 investment portfolio and holds a master in finance. First of all, I know your parents. They must be so proud of you. Look at you go. <laughs> They've been featured in Business Insider, Entrepreneur, and more. And most notably, I met them at a conference that we both went to over the past, I guess, couple months, depending on when you listen to this, FinCon. And I just want to say it was a pleasure meeting the both of you because, Israel, you came up to me and you just had all this energy <laughs> about listening to the podcast and how much it helped you. And I always say, like, you journeyers or people who like follow the content don't understand how much it helps me when I meet you in the real world and in real life because oftentimes it does feel like I'm talking to the ether and <laughs> I know people are there but not everyone is as engaged or I don't know and I know I do that too right there are people that I really enjoy or love but I don't always say something I don't always follow them or comment on their things but I enjoy them and if they stopped creating content I'd be like wait what happened so I really appreciate the energy you gave me and it's why when I thought about giving away what was called the bound copy of my books the first printed copies and I remembered I'm like wait I was trying to give it to other creators who may want to interview me I'm like well I'm, you know they're they're cool too but I'm like why not give it to journeyers that I'm actually meeting that are coming up to me and like let them get it first and so that's why you were like the, literally the first I think I told you the first person that I gave the bound printed copy of the book to so I appreciate you and I when I was thinking about okay like, let's take this further. You reached out about coming on the podcast. I was like, of course, let's go. Let's talk more about your journey. So all that to say, it was so nice to meet you in person and welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast. Jamila, thank you so, so much for having us here. Like, it's really giving a full circle moment because when we went to FinCon for the first time a few months ago, whenever this podcast goes live, Meeting you was on our top priority. Like we were so lucky to get matched with Julian and Kirsten from Written Regular as our mentors. And they're like, what can we do to help you? We're like, we want to meet Jamila. Like we want to meet her. Like that is on our priority list. So when we saw you, we were like, we need to go say hi to her. And so I, we both had all this excitement because we've been listening to your podcast for five years. And Jamila, you played such a huge pivotal role in our financial journey and also entrepreneurship journey, right? Like, like I mentioned to you in person, like I listened to your podcast. Well, I didn't mention these details. So I'll share these details. I listened to your podcast when I quit my first teaching job and 
I realized that I had no financial literacy. I was still broke, even though I went to these really wealthy institutions, prestigious institutions. And my our oldest sister shared an episode from your podcast. And I don't know how she found it, but bless her heart for finding it, you know. And I, it was so humbling because I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I ended up going back to teaching, right? But I was like delivering pizzas for Domino's and I was working at a law firm part-time and teaching English online. And it was during that time period where I was like binge listening to your podcast, like while I was delivering pizza and it just gave me so much inspiration. And then I ended up going back into the classroom and I still was going through it because teaching is a really hard profession. And I would wake up really early and listen to your podcast every Wednesday morning. And by listening to your podcast for the past five years, I think played a huge role in why I was able to build a six-figure net worth on a teacher salary by the age of 26 and why my sisters, Nem and I, began our entrepreneurship journey because, you know, we saw someone who we can relate with, you know, who comes from an immigrant background, who is just so authentic and organic and just incredible. So thank you so much. It's such an honor for us to be here. Oh, well, I just, I have to understand it. I'm sure everyone else listening too, as fellow journeyers, want to know more of your background. So I just, I both, you, both of you have accomplished a lot. Israel, we can start with you in terms of going to school. You mentioned it just now. You went to a prestigious school. So from the outside looking in, it's like, wow, like check that off your resume. But what did that look like? What did that journey look like financially? And then, of course, Tunem, I'd love to learn more about your background and what you went through, too, in your early education. Yeah, so I actually got four rides to both Yale and Stanford. Um, Yeah, I did that. You know, I, I finished my way into getting enough funding from scholarships to even covering most of my Carlo when I was in graduate school. So definitely a huge, huge privilege. But even though Jamila, like I mentioned before, even though I went to these institutions, like I still graduated as a first generation professional of color with no financial literacy. And so I went to school with folks who came from a lot of money, but I myself didn't have a lot of money. And so when I quit my first teaching job, that's when I realized like, oh, crap, I have no generational wealth. I have no financial literacy, even though I went to these schools and got full rides, which is a huge privilege not to a graduate student debt. Like I still had no generational wealth. Right. So that was like the pivotal moment of me being like, okay, these institutions are not going to save me. I'm my community, myself, are we're going to save ourselves. When you went to the schools, what did you think you were going to do, right? Because then a lot of people who go there, like they're thinking like business or investment banking or high paying jobs. Did you always want to be a teacher? Um, Yes. I think right now I'm kind of going through this metamorphosis phase where I'm kind of shifting my priorities a lot and and interests. But all my life, I wanted to be a teacher. And I, in fact, Sunem, like when I was like in second grade, I would want to play like teacher and I'll be like, Sam, do you want to play with me? And she'd be like, no, I don't want to play with you. So I, I was that person who knew I wanted to be a teacher. And I, I taught English to undocumented Latino folks here in Nashville prior to going to college. And so I knew that I wanted to go into education when I was in college. Um, but when I got to Yale, because of the same reasons that you mentioned, like most folks who go to the institutions tend to pursue more like prestigious, high paying careers. And so I thought I want to be a lawyer and I interned on the Hill and the New York State Education Department. I just realized I wanted to be a teacher. And then I became a teacher and I was like, whoa, this is wild. Like it's so challenging, especially coming from my background and with my identities. Like I was that teacher who would break up fights in the middle of the hallway. Like I was the only openly gay Latino male educator that my students had. And so I was making a huge impact, but I was sacrificing my well-being. And that's why like listening to your podcast was so important because it, it helped me realize that money can give me more options, right? Help money can give me options in my career and life. And I was able to do that and pivot from teaching. But yeah, I to, long story short, I did want to be a teacher. Um, and I got my master's in education from Stanford and to become a teacher specifically. And Sunem, what about you? By the way, who's the older sibling? So I am. I'm a year and a half older than him, uh, but most people think he's older than me. All right, because he's pretty tall. Okay, so Sudan, what about you? Tell me a little bit about your educational background and what you thought you wanted to do. Yeah, so I went to college. Um, so I also got my college degree paid off, but I did get student loans. 
but I really didn't need them. I just got them because so we're six in total. So our parents had six kids in total. And so we're the babies in the family. So some of my other brothers had gone to college and then got in student loans. And so I saw them like spending uh, using their student loans to spend on things. So I was like, oh, I feel like I need to get student loans too so that I can spend on things. And so I got student loans, even though I didn't need them. I knew nothing about that I had to pay them back and that I had to pay interest on them. And so when I went to school, I originally thought that I wanted to be a lawyer, you know, immigrant parents, all the things that you know about. It's like, being an engineer, a lawyer, a doctor. And so I was like, I want to be a lawyer. But then I realized that I am too introverted to be a lawyer. I was like, I hate writing. I don't want to be speaking in public all the time. And so I was like, yeah, let me do something else. And so from when I graduated, I graduated with um, about $16,000 in student debt. And then I decided to get a brand new car because everybody was telling me to get a brand new car. They're like, okay, well, you graduated, you're making some money. And at that point I was making like less than $20,000, but I was like, okay, that's a lot of money, which is not. But during that time, I felt like that was a lot. And so I got me a a car loan. And so my, my debt went up to $42,000. And then during that time, I was like, well, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to be paying off the minimum loans. And then I believe in around 2016, I started realizing that all my money went to pay off debt. And I was like, uh, I'm like, something has to change. And so I went down the rabbit hole of like personal finance and I started getting so into it. So in 2016, when I started listening to it, like uh, I, there wasn't really much podcast. There was like mostly blogs. And so I would consume a lot of blogs. And so I was like, oh, I really like personal finance. Let me go back to school and put me to a master's program in finance so that I can learn all of this. And don't do that. <laughs> like I was like, if I couldn't go back, I would tell myself, don't do that because I literally learned nothing about personal finance in my finance uh, degree. It was all about like corporate finance. And I think I had like one or two classes to do with like investing. But by that time I had already learned all of that on my own. So I became debt free in 2019, uh, thanks to like consuming all this personal finance. And I did start listening to your to your podcast too in 2018 uh, at the same time as I started because, you know, our sister shared it in, we, in this chat that we have with our siblings. And so I started like listening to that too. Um, and then I started like realizing that like life is not just about becoming debt free. And I realized that like, you know, you can take control of your life if you start investing and you want to become financially independent. And during this time in 2019, I was like working full time and going to school. And so I was really burned out. And I was like, I really want to become retired today. And so when I became debt free, I like pivoted to um, investing very aggressively. And because I realized the importance of investing, even though I got my master's in finance, like they didn't really teach me about the power of investing. It was just like, you know, how to value a stock and all of that. But when I learned, I was like, oh my God, I need this. And then, so, you know, I started to invest and then I told Israel how to invest. And for a while, Israel would not listen to me. He was like, no. But then when he quit his job, I think that's when he finally like started listening to me. And in fact, like we usually share this story that's a little funny. When Israel first started his teaching job, he came up to me with his check. He was so upset because like, who's taking money for this 403B? What is this? And he was ready to fight someone. <laughs> but then I was like, hey, Israel, it's actually for your retirement. Yeah, that sounds definitely how most people feel when they start to invest because it's it's such a you know foreign concept. I mean, think about it for you too, because I also had a, a degree in business with a specialization in finance, but you don't learn about how to create wealth for yourself, right? You're learning more about like corporations and business structures. And I honestly think that's for a reason. They don't want you to know how to really build personal wealth. They want you to be indoctrinated into the system and keep you kind of on this cycle of working to for a paycheck to pay for your bills and get debt so you can stay within the system. So I'd love to know Israel, in terms of your investing, so you said you were able to invest how much? Because what most people are not going to ask, right? Like, 
what did those teaching years look like? You know, if you want to share maybe the range of how much you were making and how did you create such a big portfolio based on your salary? Was it mostly because of how did you were you, were you able to save money in certain areas? What are some hacks for other people listening who want to do that too? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And again, all of these different ideas and strategies came from your podcast, right? So thank you so much, Jamila, again. But I was making 45K when I moved to Nashville back in 2018. And I also bought a house because that's what a lot of immigrants are socialized to believe that owning a house is the only way to building wealth right through real estate. And that's not... I don't believe that anymore, um, but that's what I believed then. Even even though I had access to Sanem, who was saying, "No, that's not the that's not the only way." Like, I wasn't ready for her advice until I bought the house and I went through the whole experience myself. I was not financially ready to buy that house, but I bought it right, and so I did that. And then I started to invest once I started once I quit my first teaching job and then I got my side hustles and then I went back to teaching then I was like okay I'm going to start investing more aggressively in my 401k for 3b right so I started with 10 percent and then I was like I want to make more money and I also want to live in a more progressive city and so I ended up moving to DC where I got a 15k salary increase And I also was able to decrease my expenses. Even though the cost of living was higher there, I was able to decrease my expenses because I was able to live in the outskirts of the city with a really good friend from college. And we rented a house. It was four of us living there and it was three bedrooms. And I split a room with my really good friend. And it worked out because she was a consultant at that time and she was spending most of her time in California anyway. And so I was only paying $350 for rent and I increased my salary by 15K. And then I was finessing, getting all the side hustles, like the homework center and doing this club and working um, during the summers. And I was investing all of that money. And the school where I worked too was providing a 6% match to my 43B. So that made a huge impact, right? And so I was maxing out my 43B and I was then maxing out my IRA and then the additional money I was also investing in a brokerage account. And then two years after living in DC, I decided I just didn't want to be a homeowner anymore. And cause it was, it was too challenging to be an ethical homeowner when I don't come from generational wealth. And there's, there's so much to unpack there. Right. But I ended up selling that house and then I invested most of it to my a brokerage account. And so I was able to build a six-figure net worth portfolio by doing all of that in in that time span. Right. I want to pull out some really, I think, great things that you were able to do. And I think house hacking, being able to get your rent or living expense that low is key. I know not everyone can do that, right? Depending on your responsibility and your age or how safe you feel, right? Um, But luckily you had friends you could trust and do that. And, you know, sometimes you have to think out of the box and be creative and it may require that you give up some comforts, but it's not something that you need to do permanently, right? It may be something you do for two years to get to a point where you can then have more freedom and flexibility, I also uh, loved that you talked about getting that raise. So first you moved cities to high cost of living area, but then kept your expenses low. And then even though you made more, you just invested that money. You didn't increase your lifestyle to be able to do that. Now, can you imagine maybe, and I think this was what happens to a lot of people is they already started this hamster wheel of making more, spending more. And it's harder to then scale back once you start doing that. It just takes more of an emotional and mental effort. But I think that's the beauty of if you're able to find this, like some people are like, oh, like I'm finding this at a point in my life where I'm not making a lot of money or I have a lot, a lot of debt. And I just feel like if you can understand these concepts now, that way, when you do make more money, you can then apply it. So it's not necessarily a, a horrible thing if you don't, you're not in the position to start saving aggressively, but you know about this so that you can get in that position or when you get there, you can do it. Exactly. Yes. I I don't think I would ever do that now. Right. Like, in fact, I live by myself. And even though like cost of living has increased everywhere in inflation, but like I need to live by myself now. But I laid a strong financial foundation for myself and did those sacrifices then so I can have that now. 
right? And I don't regret doing that. But like you said, I knew that it was only temporary. And I, I don't think I'll do that in, in the future if I don't have to. Sunam, what about you and investing? How did you start or what were the things that you were able to do to get you to this place of investing so much? Yeah. So something that helped me when it comes to investing is, so I have a partner. So I think that's also been really helpful because I know like there's the single tax when you're by yourself, it's like more expensive because both of you, like only one person pays for the rent. And so I think that was also helpful. And also what helped me was that I did live with my parents until I was like 23. And so during that time when I was paying off debt, like that was really helpful, of course. Like, you know, so if you're like young and you're like, I want to become debt free, I think it's also good that you like take advantage of those privilege that if your parents let you live there, then go ahead and take advantage. But I mean, some people do say they're like, oh, well, Sometimes you do have to either pay like in mental health because sometimes it's not the greatest to live with your parents. But I mean, if you can be okay with that, then yeah, definitely do that. Um, and so something for me that helped was that I I got out of college and then I started doing, I had a lot of little like side hustles. So I was managing a storage facility. <laughs> I was managing actually two storage facilities. Uh, and then I, I got a job, a, another job. And so I was able to, I think my job was only paying me like $45,000, but then I was making like $30,000 managing the storage facilities. And then um, I also did a lot of web design. So I had a lot of side hustles. <laughs> and so I think having all of that like really helped me pay off my debt. And originally when I ran the numbers, I was supposed to become debt free in 2021, but I actually was able to achieve it in 2021. 2019 because of all the side hustles that I had and I was doing too much. I was hustling a lot and I understand there, there is a period of time in your life where you have to, because when you don't come from generational wealth and your parents can't help you out, that is something that's going to happen. And so I was hustling a lot. And so once I became debt free, I just pivoted to um, investing. And because I was already so used to spending so little, I like just took that amount and started investing very aggressively, which um, helped me like achieve $100,000 in the stock market in 2020. Um, and then now I have over $250,000 in the stock market because I am still investing, but I'm no longer investing as aggressive as I was in the beginning. Because like I said, you know, there's a time in your journey where you do have to be aggressive, but now I'm not because now I'm practicing being more balanced with uh, my life. Because now that I do have all of this money that I have accumulated, I'm trying to use it as a tool to live a life that I love. And so for the longest, I used to have to be in an office that I hated to go to. I had to drive 40 minutes, which I know it's not a lot compared to how much you used to drive, Jamila. Uh, but it was still a lot for me. And so I hated being there. And then because I started thinking about like money is a tool to use, I was like, how can I make my life better. And so I was able to negotiate with my job to only work four days a week and work remotely. And I started doing that in 2022. And I actually love it. And now I, I get to like travel every month. I was in New Orleans and in Arizona. So I've been into into so many different places just because I was able to change my mindset from thinking that money was a thing for me to hoard uh, to using it as something that I can use to live a better life. Yeah. And I think what you just said, like there's a time in your journey where it does require hard work. I don't know if it's a just more, definitely it's a mindset thing. I think with social media, and I'm a bit, I'm, I'm assuming I'm a bit older than you guys too. So I feel like I put in the work. So somebody may see me now and say like, oh, like you're able to quote unquote have it all. But there was a time in my life when I was more in hustle mode and it's not that I'm advocating that people hustle to the point of exhaustion or burnout, but I just feel like most, if we're being realistic about the people who are able to break through kind of this beginner journey or stage, as I talk about, like, you know, whether you're a, what I call explorer, trying to just get to stability or trying to get out of debt, you need to sacrifice 
and do more work in those stages to get to a certain point, but it doesn't have to be forever. And I think so many people see, especially younger people, like maybe the fruits of what you've done, right? So they hear like, oh, you saved how much or you're able to now work from home or see me and say, wow, like she's she was able to quit her job. But it's like you had to do some work to get to that, to lay that foundation to do that. And I think most people don't recognize where they are in the journey yet. And so they think like, oh, I can do that now. And it's like, well, you could, but it will, it may, you may struggle a bit longer if you do it that way. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I think that like, especially when you come from like a first gen, like immigrant household, right? When you don't come from generational wealth, like you tend to do those sacrifices because you don't have folks helping you right and people have asked me would you do it all over again would you hustle and i'm and i say yes you know it wasn't fun but i will do it all over again because the financial foundation that i have built for myself has given me way more options in my career and my life right it has allowed building that wealth has allowed me to ask myself different questions right on how i want to live my life it's allowed me to reject jobs it's allowed me to pivot careers it's given me so much more power and getting that power as a first-gen professional is so, so revolutionary from my perspective. And so I feel like I would do it all over again. But now that I do have that strong financial foundation, like Sunem, I think we are kind of having a more balanced approach to building wealth, right? And we are also trying to move away from scarcity money mindset because I feel like that's something that we really struggled with growing up in poverty, right? And I think part of the reason why we also were able to build such strong financial foundations for ourselves was because we were trying to get out of poverty. But now we have to remind ourselves that we're not in poverty anymore and that we have a a foundation that allows us to embrace abundance and allows us to pursue lives that we can rest more and experience more joy and shift, like Sunem said, our, our, this, this mindset of seeing money as something to be accumulated to as a tool that we can leverage to live our best lives, whatever that looks like for you. Talk a little bit more about like your family. So you said there's six of you and how maybe your parents feel or felt about you not pursuing the traditional like immigrant, what they would say they'd want you for to have as a career you know, do they see now? Because sometimes when you're in the moment doing it, they're just like, oh, why are you choosing this path? Or why did you quit that job? It had stability. But do they now see the benefit of it? And then how would you say like your siblings, like I know you said your older sister told you about the podcast, but do you feel like your position as like first gen immigrants or having so many, because I'm sure I didn't, I didn't discuss where your family is from, but how much now is it that you have family that are looking maybe to you for advice or even monetary help? How do you create those conversations in your family or even boundaries so that you guys are okay financially, but then still potentially helping family out? So we actually, we grew up in Tijuana. So Israel was born in Tijuana, Mexico. And then I was born in LA, but I also lived in Tijuana. So we relocated from Tijuana to LA when I think I was like, six and Israel was four and then we moved to Nashville. So well now I live in Nashville. Israel lives in Nashville, but he's trying to move somewhere else. <laughs> but yeah, so our parents I feel like our parents are pretty proud of us. <laughs> For the longest my mom did want one of us to be like a lawyer or a doctor or engineer. But I feel that um what we are pursuing has has been good for her. My parents, like they, they have been really great at like being happy and supporting us in our journey. I mean, at least that's what I feel like. I don't know about Israel, (laughs) Um, but to answer your question about our siblings. So we actually have like a chat where our, all our siblings talk to each other and, since me and Israel started getting so into like personal finance and talking to everyone, we talked to all our siblings about investing. And in fact, one of our older brothers, um, who's like two years older than me, he just recently um, reached a hundred K in the stock market this year. And he started investing in 2020 when we started talking to him about it. And then our sister, she's also investing, the one who who showed us your podcast. Um, she's also investing. And so, yeah, I think most of our siblings are investing and they usually come to us for questions when they're like, hey, should I 
what should I invest in? Should I open up this card? And something for us, because we we are Latinos, like we grew up in like a collectivist uh, family, like we want to build wealth with our family because what's the point of us being wealthy and our family not? Like I want all of us to be able to become financially independent, work optional and not have to work so that we can go on trips together. And so we're we're really happy about sharing this knowledge with them. All right. I have to ask as someone who has kids and I'm just like, I love seeing adult sibling relationships. That is my, you know, I'm, I'm pretty cool and close to my siblings and I, we didn't grow up all in the same household. I'm also a lot older than my sister for my mom. And then I have a bunch of siblings for my dad, but we, I love that are still all able to have a connection. And now raising kids within the same household, only two years apart, all three of my kids. And I'm just like, my goal, I just want them to continue to remain connected as adults. And so I just love when I meet adult siblings that choose to spend time with each other. So was there a value system within your household growing up that your parents uh, instilled in you to help enforce this as adults, even what seems like this ability to share with each other and to learn from each other. And I'm not saying that you probably don't have like issues, right? Like all siblings do behind the scenes, but what would you say? So then as someone who's like wants to have a closer relationship with their siblings and talk about investing and bring them on the path with them or about wealth, is that something that had to be talked about as children or what were the value systems that you got from that? And then how as adults can you encourage your family members to get on the path with you? Yeah, that's a great question. And I just want your audience to know, Jamila, when Sunem and I do have issues, it's because she starts it and not me. Okay. <laughs> like I never start any of the issues. It's always her. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I really do think that it's very much ingrained in a Latino, like collectivist culture that we're so family oriented. I'm not sure exactly what our parents or family did for us to be so close. But I just know that, like, for me, I was the only one who left home for college. Like, most of my siblings who went to college went to state schools. And for me, going away for college was really good for me, for me to explore the world, you know, and get to know myself better. Um, But I would always come back to visit my family. Like, I would always come back to, like, every time I had a, a break, I would come back to visit my family And even today, like, I stay coming back to Nashville. I always say I stay coming back to dusty Nashville because of my family, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) because of my family. And it's like, I don't don't know exactly what, what our parents did. I just know that it's very much part of the Latino culture, and it's not just specific to our family, right? Like, I know, for example, like, um... When I, being first gen and being the only one who went away for college, my mom was really, really sad that I went away for college. In fact, she would make me text her every morning and call her every night. And she would often ask me, when are you going to transfer to a local university, right? Because it's just like, your kids just don't leave you, right? Your kids only leave you when they get married. And that's it, right? When they get married, right? Or whatever, like they just don't leave you. And so I think... It's, I think my mom was also really present like throughout our lives. Like my dad was the one who went out to work really hard to get our the money. And my mom was working really hard in the household. But I think because we had the privilege of having our mom there, I think that also played a huge role in how we are able to really value family. But those, those are my initial thoughts. Do you have any other thoughts to them? Yeah, I think it, it has to do with my mom. She was she always made sure that we stay connected. Um, in fact, like she she still calls both of us like every day. <laughs> um, so my parents uh, recently retired and they relocated to Tijuana, Mexico. So they moved back. And so um, my mom, when she goes to Tijuana, she usually calls us like every day. And I think because she's like really trying to build that connection with us, which is why we have like grown up being very connected. Um, But to answer your question about how we started talking to each other about money. So I feel like sometimes your siblings are not going to want you to talk about money. They're not going to want to take that advice that you give them. And I just say like, it's okay. Just keep on telling them eventually when they get to a place to receive it, they will receive it. Um, and so that's what something that I did when I was talking to Israel, like he was not willing to receive it for a while. And then finally he was. 
Um, and now he's so passionate about talking about this too. And so um, I think like, like I said, like if you have siblings, just, just try and show also, also like show them your numbers. That's been very powerful. Like when I've shown my brothers, my investment numbers, like how much I have in the stock market, they're like, Oh my God, you did that. Like if you can do it, we grew up in the same household. I can do that too. Can you teach me? Yeah, I think uh, definitely showing because so, so, so much of it feels in, invisible or fake, right? Like it's on paper or it's not real or it's not money you can actually touch. So you have to make it real for people. And then imagine someone like you literally grew up with and they're showing you like, I have $50,000 in my investment account. You may not have have anything because you didn't start. You know, I would think that would encourage you to be like, wait a second, like, let me start doing something. Hey, Journeyers, if you are loving this podcast, then you will love my book, Your Journey to Financial Freedom, a step-by-step guide to achieving wealth and happiness. I wrote this book for you. This book is for you if you want a clear and enjoyable path to having more money, options, and a rich life. This book is for you if you hate your commute and the fact that you need to seek approval or permission from a boss. I hated that when I worked. This book is for you if you weren't born into wealth, you didn't marry rich or win the lottery, but you still want freedom. This book is for you if you're at a crossroads, a major decision or event is imminent. Maybe a career change, marriage, starting a family, pressures are reaching a tipping point and the discomfort and the desire for more can no longer be ignored. And this book is for you if you find yourself zoned out at meetings, looking out the window or daydreaming about the life you truly want. So go pick up yourjourneytofinancialfreedom.com so I can show you how to map out how to get from where you are today to where you ultimately want to be and enjoy the journey while you're on the path. Head over to yourjourneytofinancialfreedom.com to see where you can pick the book up. It's available on Amazon, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, everywhere. Go to yourjourneytofinancialfreedom.com to get the book now. Israel, you talk about, you know, home ownership. And I think it's so interesting. So as you said, like, looking back on it, maybe, you, you know, it wasn't for you, you weren't ready. But then it looks like selling your home did give you a boost, right? It allowed you to make some headway with your finances. And I often find that's the case for people where, you know, maybe if you could, if you knew what you knew, you'd do things differently. But if you did things differently, you wouldn't be where you are because it helped. <laughs> so for you, for people considering home ownership right now or wanting to have a home and invest in real estate, what are some things uh, that you wish you did know that you would have done differently and any other things. So I love how you just mentioned also home ownership as it being ethical. So we can talk about that after you answer the first question. Yes, that's, that's really, I have a lot of hot takes on home ownership, Jamila, but I won't share them all on this podcast. <laughs> I'm just going to share some. <laughs> I think the main piece is that we need to approach home ownership with intentionality, right? And in order for you to become intentional, I think it's like deepening your financial literacy, right? Getting to know yourself more. And then connecting your financial literacy to your, to who you are and what you want from your life, right? I think those are two main pieces because a lot of folks, especially if you come from an immigrant or first-gen background, like a lot of folks are socialized, like I was mentioning, to believe that home ownership is the only way to build wealth, right? Because that's what was instilled in us, right? And that stems from that socialization piece, but also from a lack of financial literacy. And so for me, that was definitely the case. And now knowing myself better, like I know I'm a free spirit. I, li- I love to bop around, you know, like I've lived, I've had the huge privilege of living in so many parts of the country and the world. And I want to continue to do that. And that's just who I am. And I feel like me being a homeowner in this stage of my life, and especially because I bought that house when I was 23 years old, I'm, I'm 28 now, right? When I was 23 years old, like I learned a lot from that experience that I, I wouldn't give back, but it was also a really hard experience because I didn't have money to replace the roof when I had to replace it, right? I just didn't know all the pressures that came with homeownership. And then I was like, oh, well, I'll just rent it. And then when I did rent it, I'm like, oh, it's hard to rent it, right? Especially because I wanted to be an ethical landlord. I wanted to rent out to black folks, to brown folks, immigrants, queer people, right? And then when COVID hit, People couldn't pay. And I was like, it's okay, don't pay. But I only got $2 in my bank account. So I'm like, what's going on? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's going on? So I decided to sell it because I realized that for me, it just didn't fit with 
my lifestyle with my values like the investing in index funds fit much better for me because it's like if i invest in index funds i can build wealth through that and i can still bop around right and i don't have to deal grapple with these tensions of being am i going to be a home am i going to be an ethical landlord right am i going to come back to nashville am i gonna i don't have to deal with any of that now like i think that if i were to buy a property again one i don't think i want to buy a property in the u.s i think i want to buy a property in mexico that experience, as, as hard as it was, I think it taught me so much that I wouldn't give back those lessons. But I implore folks to please approach your homeownership journey with an intentionality. Don't do it because you feel like that's what you need to do. Yeah, it's such a great, such an important and great almost exclamation that you have to put. Like think through the numbers when you are considering buying property because also, I think this idea of it being physical, and I love real estate too, because it's physical. You can walk, you can see it, you can, you know, it's it's also helps your ego, right? Like I own a home, I own multiple homes. There's like a lot that goes al- along with that, that people want to have and say, but you know, you can build wealth. And this is why financial independence and the concept grabbed me when I first heard it. And I'm assuming probably what helped you like get on board was when I was like, wait, regular people are just investing like in retirement accounts and taxable accounts. And yes, it takes longer. It, you know, it's a, it's a slower burn, but it, it's almost fail proof as long as you're a long-term investor that you can invest your income to, to gain wealth. And I think that's something that I just want more people to understand about wealth. It, it looks different. This type of wealth, it's more covert. It's not as loud, but the fact that you can move around or that, you know, you can travel or have the op- options that you guys have, like, that's that generational wealth you're going to eventually be able to pass down to people in your family. Yeah, exactly. And also like a lot of people, when they just think about wealth, um, it's like a house, but also like wealth can be like building wealth. is like through the stock market, through a business and through real estate. Like you can have wealth using all three of those. Or if you're like, actually, I just want to do one then yeah. Um, And it doesn't have to be like, maybe right now, like someone can start off like building wealth through the stock market, because that's all they can afford to do. But later on in the future, they're like, oh, I actually want to be a real estate investor. And you can do that too. And also you can be a real estate investor through the stock market too. FYI. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And doing it ethically. I think that you brought up a, a good point, Israel, like in terms of wanting to be fair because a lot of people when they talk about real estate and flipping you know houses and all that like are you really thinking about the community and who can afford those houses and so i think in general this whole system you know participating in it this capitalist system there's just a lot that you have to either come to terms with and it's like you can't necessarily it's not always it's not a hundred percent I don't know, I'm not going to say 100% ethical, but like just investing in the companies we invest in, even in the index fund, right? Like some of those companies that we are participating in are not all great. A lot of them aren't. But the option, though, is until we can figure this out as a society, it's we can't just sit on the sidelines either and not build wealth. Because at least if we have something, we do have some say. We The more money you have, unfortunately, the more power you have. And so we need to, as immigrants, we need to, as brown people, as queer people, build wealth so that we can have we can have a say and have some influence and just not like sit on the sidelines. Absolutely. And I have I have lots of hot takes, especially about capitalism, too, you know, but I'll just share a couple <laughs> on here. But absolutely, I feel like under capitalism, money equates directly to power, right? Power, whether that's political power, options to give you more power to quit a job, to have more flexibility in your life, it's power, right? And so that's why we're so passionate about teaching folks how to learn the language of money and get their money right so they can have more power in the society and because of capitalism, right? And the thing about investing in the real estate market is that, like, these corporations are making money off the backs of our folks, right? It's make, you don't, you, when you go to Walmart, you see low-income black and brown folks working, right? You see low-income folks, but then the people who are getting the profits are the rich white men. And so you investing in the stock market is you reclaiming the money that we rightfully deserve. That is our money. Our our communities are making that money. If you look at the history of the U.S. as a former history teacher, like immigrants, black folks, 
indigenous folks, we built the wealth of this country and we built arguably the global economy, right? Black folks were commodified as property, right? And so a black person owning property in the U.S. is so freaking revolution. It's so powerful, right? Indigenous folks, like, you know, the European colonizers stole our, the lands of indigenous folks. So like, so like an indigenous person owning property, that's powerful. And so building wealth is kind of also reclaiming what's rightfully ours as marginalized people, right? And it's reclaiming and also gaining more power in a capitalistic society. So we definitely need to get our money, right? And and something else that we say is that like building wealth for ourselves is kind of anti-capitalist too, because we get to use that money to rest. We get to use that money to, you know, become financially independent. We're like, we're getting out of this. We're getting out of what capitalistic society tells us that we have to always be productive we can't rest. And so like when we get our money right, we can buy our time back and rest and like do whatever we want without having to always be in this like this thing that, oh, I need to make more money. I need to be more productive. I need to accomplish all of this and this that, you know, the world teaches us that we have to, but we do not have to. Where are you guys now with your careers what are your aspirations in terms of your job slash maybe entrepreneurship? What, what's going on there? Yeah. So for me is, so my, so right now I work remotely four days a week. I love it. Um, I still do want to become financially independent. My goal is to become financially independent at age 45. I mean, I can get there sooner, but I have really tried to reach this in a balanced way and make sure that I am enjoying my journey right now because I realized in 2022 when I reached 100K that even though I had built this big milestone um, as a first-gen Latina, you know, who came from poverty, like I was not happy. Like I was really anxious during that time. And it was because, you know, like I was just trying to accumulate money because of my money scarcity. And so during that time, like I decided to pivot. I'm like, no, I want to make sure that I am still pursuing financial independence, but doing it in a balanced way and enjoying my life. And I am honestly like really enjoying it right now. For me, Jamila, so I also took a sabbatical when I left the classroom from July, 2022 to February of 2023. And Taking that sabbatical literally changed my life. All uh, my life, I had been really highly productive, really high achieving. I really extracted a lot of joy from advancing social justice for our communities, teaching you know low-income Black and brown kids and, and doing all this work. But when I was in my sabbatical, it was the first time ever that I wasn't doing anything and that I just realized that I extracted more happiness. I had more peace by not doing anything. And I started working full time again in February because I was recruited to this brand new uh, fintech startup in the South. And it's been, and I've been working full time again for like nine months now, and it's still been so hard, Jamila. So I, my goal is to be able to retire as soon as possible. I wish I had retired yesterday, but I still, you know, I can't. <laughs> um, but it's this, it's this tension of like, I want to retire as soon as possible, but I also want to have a balanced approach, right? So how can I win the lottery, right? Like, so how can I win the lottery? So, <laughs> so I can just retire tomorrow and not have to work. It's just... It's just, it's been a challenge. And so even though like we are still really committed to helping folks, and I think we're always going to be committed to helping folks use money to live life on their own terms. Like we just don't believe in work anymore. And I think Sonem and I both share this value that like, we just want to live our lives on our own terms, whatever that looks like. And work a 40 work week, a 30 work week, our work week is just not going to cut it for us. Right. Well, I think this, let's talk about that tension because I know a lot of people are feeling that no matter where you are, whether, so it sounds like you both are in a place, what I call the, the five journeyer stages, like either the aviator stage or work flexible stage, but meaning like you are now diverting a lot of your money into investing because you no longer have to worry about paying off consumer debt. And so now it becomes, and when you get to this third stage, so there's um, five stages. I talk about all of this in the book, but there's five stages to reach financial independence. And the first two stages are more about, okay, getting to stability. Second stage is getting out of consumer debt. And then you reach these later stages, 
the aviator stage where you're building financial security so you're able to invest. Then the fourth stage is reaching work flexibility. So you can take time off of work. You can take breaks, you can travel, but it doesn't mean you never work again. You still have to bring in some income at some point. And then the final stage, financial independence. And I feel like for a lot of people, um, whether they're in the beginning or the later stage, it's this, it is this tension of, well, I can, if I spend less or I need less, then I can reach my financial goals sooner, right? Like for me, yeah, if we like reduced our expenses, we can be at a point where I wouldn't have to work anymore myself, like completely. But I don't want to do that. I want to enjoy my life. I want to like still take trips and live this more balanced approach. So now it sounds like you found a job or you found this work schedule that works for now, right? And for you as real, it sounds like it's like finding out like how can you get to a point where it's like it's not the job that I want to have forever, but it's a job that like I feel like I'm contributing something to the world or at least I'm happy, but gives me my freedom. So any thoughts or advice for people right now who are just like, well, I don't even know because I, yeah, I want to reach my financial goals, but I also want to have a nice car or I also want to travel. And why do I have to? I hate that I have to choose both. Like, I don't know how. I know it's not like a definite answer we can give people, but let's talk through maybe what that tension looks like. So something that I always ask myself is like, first, like you have to be intentional with the way you spend your money. You need to know what actually brings you joy and what doesn't so that like you can cut off out like the things that you don't really care for. <laughs> um, so for example, something that has brought me joy and that I was willing to reduce my investments because I used to invest like, 50% or 60% of my income um, was when I was like, okay, well, what brings me joy? And for me, that was travel, food, um, and then skincare now. I've, I've gotten into skincare. But like, so I'm like willing to spend money on this. And for me, that's worth like still working until I'm 45. Uh, but if I had a job that I hated, I would be like, hmm, I, I mean, I love skincare, but I don't think it's worth me being in this job that I hate. So I'm going to reduce that. Um, so I think it's just being very intentional with your spending, being very intentional with the type of person you are and what are your values? What brings you joy when you're spending money? Yeah, I think for me, I think this tension is even more um, on, like up in my face because I took my sabbatical and I experienced freedom for those eight months that it's been hard to... I got a taste of it and I want it back, you know, I want it back and I just don't want it for eight months. I want it forever. And so I think this tension, because Sunem also wanted to take a sabbatical and then she saw me living my best life and she's like, I'm definitely going to take a sabbatical. But then she saw me going back to full-time work and she's like, I'm definitely not going to take a sabbatical anytime soon until I have my financial goals. Yes. Yes. So that's why it's so nice to like, you know, to have a community of people who are doing things that you want to do so that you can go and ask them, Hey, how was this? Like, how does it impact your journey? Or like, how do you feel? And so, yeah, like I wanted to take a sabbatical, but when he came back, I'm like, yeah, I don't think I want to. I mean, my job is not horrible. Like I have a lot of flexibility. I'm willing to like, think about taking a sabbatical in the next five years or so. Once I reach half a million in my investments. Yeah. So I think for me, I think I'm, I've been struggling with this tension because of that beautiful experience, the blessing and, and the curse for me. Um, but I think like literally I had a therapy session today and I've been, was exploring this, you know, it's like, I'm nervous, you know, like I, I do want to move abroad. I want to move to Mexico soon. And I do want a fully remote job because I, I think that like, for me, like having like, a stable paycheck is really important and and I do want to reach financial independence and but I'm just nervous that I won't be able to like do it because I just don't want to work at all anymore right and so like through therapy I think I've been trying to get to know myself more and trying to figure out like what are the different priorities in my life like what are the non-negotiables what are my needs right like personally spiritually geographically everything and once I figure that out how does money fit into that and then how does work fit into that? Right. And so trying to try, I think it's kind of like a, like a self-personal journey for me to figure out those things before I can be like, okay, well maybe I'm not, I'm only going to work 15 hours a week and I'm going to 
find a job that pays me really well for the 15 hours, or maybe I'm going to move to a different place that, you know, that I'm able to save money. So it's, it's very much like a self-discovery journey that I'm going through right currently. And so unfortunately I can't really be as, as helpful as a man because I'm kind of like in the (laughs) the struggle of it. It's a real feeling of what, like, what do I want? Which is why I feel like, and I, I know the financial independence journey, it's almost just like it presents itself as this outward journey to these very much tangible counting the number or counting the dollars and looking at the accounts. And it, it's, it's all this doing. But I think, honestly, it's really why I want everyone to go on it is because it's not about the amount of money you accumulate at the end of it all or how much money you pay off in debt because this that will happen. That is going to happen once you start this journey, but it's the inward journey it's going to require of you um, because you will begin or you're going to need to begin to ask yourself better questions about your life, about what's worth it to you. And it's going to force you to reckon with the life you created and the life you say you want. I don't know. I just don't think anyone, and I'm not being pessimistic when I say this, I don't think that anyone is going to be 100% have it figured out or happy 100% of the time. Even the people who have all the money, even the people who are financially independent, like there are, they're still us. Like we're still like complete humans with our emotions and feelings and everything. And so I just think, I don't think that the, the journey stops. I think maybe the numbers you might like check off that you did something, like you have 100,000. Even if when you reach the 500,000, like, there's all this internal work that happens and I think it's just ongoing. But the sooner that you can understand that the journey is a lot of inward of stuff, like it's a lot of intangible things, I think that's what will help you realize or at least not be so hard on yourself for not having it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It really does, when you start on like this journey of becoming financial independence, it really does change you. And in a good way, because you, like if I said, like you start asking yourself all these questions that you didn't before. And also like, I think we're in this point of asking ourselves these questions because both me and Israel have reached close to five, which means that we our traditional retirement at 65, I think 60 is already set. And so we want to know what we want to do for those years until we actually, and like, do we really want to like, like we also like, also ask ourselves some questions like do we want to keep on pursuing financial independence and like reach it at 45 or like like I said like do I just want to take a job that's and work 15 hours and maybe reach it when I'm 60 because my my traditional retirement is already set yeah these are all oh my gosh such great reflection questions and I want you guys to like let people know where they can find out more about your work you know what you're going to be up to over the next few months and yeah where they can find out more about you yeah so we recently pivoted from being the dream teacher project where we provided anti-racist culture responsive financial literacy to teachers of color to just focusing on our platform of money noticias podcast Um, we made that pivot because we want to foster a community of like-minded people who are you know committed to getting our money right and taking control of our lives. And so on our Money Noticias podcast, we spill all the tea about money as that relates to being anti-racist and anti-capitalist and living our best lives. So you can find us on IG at the Money Noticias podcast or on your favorite podcast platform if you want to listen to our podcast. We also have a free money guide uh, six strategies to take control of your debt if you're interested in that we can you can uh download that in our link in our ig account and also like make sure to follow us on ig because i do share all the numbers when i travel so like if you're wanting to know all the tea on how much i spend when i travel because i feel like i literally travel every month now um i share all of those and then we share all a lot of the behind the scenes yeah. So if you want to know, like, where's is Israel going to end up? What is, how is this, you know, self-discovery journey going on? Like, f- follow us on, the, on IG and, and the podcast because I, we share all of that there. Right. And say the IG one more time. So it's Money Noticias Podcast. Right. And so if you listen to this and you uh, got value or you enjoyed it, take a screenshot. I always say, take a screenshot, tag us, tag me at Journey to Launch. So we know that you were listening 
And yeah, let's follow them on their journey. I'm so happy to have met you guys. And I can't just wait to see how your journey continues to unfold. Oh, thank you so much, Jamila. It was such an honor to be here with you today. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me and the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here, so show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. Journeyers.